0: Tonight's sort of an introductory message for a few lessons. I don't think it'll be a long series. But just about the culture and the world that we live in. Because Jesus, Jesus said that His coming, when He comes back, that He would come back to a world that was similar to the world that Noah lived in. And the world that Lot lived in. Sodom was a very wicked place. And my primary concern and burden in this series of lessons is not really to focus just on our culture and just on what the Bible says about the second coming or the coming of the Lord, but... How we ought to live? How should we live? If what what if this were? What if this was? What if this was the generation that would see the Lord come back? Um, are you? Are we training and teaching our children in a way, not that just that they'd be ready when He comes back, that they would be equipped to live in a place like Sodom? Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know what a wicked place Sodom was. It was, not, it was not friendly to our values. It, the whole culture was twisted and perverted and ungodly. So much so that God rained fire and brimstone down on them and destroyed them. People who lived there were shocked, I'm sure. They thought, this, they, they thought what they were doing was probably bad, but, you know, it's not a big deal. But, you know, what we think about stuff sometimes and what God thinks about it are two entirely different things. And I don't know if Jesus will come back in my lifetime. When I, was, when, I first got, when I got saved, I was 21. And I was convinced in my mind that by the time I was 30, this would all be over. <laughs> Well, that's been a few years ago, but I still believe he might come in my lifetime. And the reason some people don't take their Christian life seriously is they don't really think that could ever happen. But I'm telling you, one of these days, and it could be tonight, it could be before this service is over, every true born-again child of God will disappear, and some of you would be sitting here with a handful of people wondering what just happened. Because you don't really know Him. So I think we ought to think about stuff, you know, and we ought to take it serious, right? I think we ought to take it serious. So, tonight's just going to be an introduction. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and let's stand together. We're going to read a few verses, beginning in verse 20. We'll look at a number of passages tonight. But Luke 17 and verse 20 says this. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees. They were making this an important matter. They wanted to know. They insisted that he respond to this. When he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. In other words, it won't be something, the the present kingdom and his kingdom, that was his message. That was John the Baptist's message. That was Jesus' message. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus in that kingdom, it won't be just a physical kingdom, a political kingdom. It will be a kingdom from within. Verse 21, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. In other words, the day's going to come when you're going to want to see See me, you to, you, And he says, and they say he's here, he's there. He says, "Don't go there, don't follow them. For as the lightning that light, lighteneth out of the one part unto heaven and shineth unto the other part unto heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They shall eat, they, Excuse me. they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. In other words, they were just going about their lives in the days of Noah. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. And that's where we're getting to our focus tonight. And likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. And destroyed them all. The same thing happened in Noah's day all except those that were in the ark, it destroyed them all. And in Lot's, the same way in Lot's day, as soon as Lot left the area, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall... Be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Don't go back. Remember Lot's wife? We'll stop right there. Remember Lot's wife? She turned back. She was told not to turn back. We're going to cover all that in a future lesson. And she turned into a pillar of salt. She didn't... She didn't it wasn't a hard command. It was a simple command. You say, well, why did she do it? For the same reason... People hear God's simple commands today and disregard them. We, we do that all the time. We don't take his commands seriously. And that's what she did. And we see what happened. So let's, let's have prayer and ask God to bless our service tonight. Father, please bless tonight as we study your word. We ask you, Lord, to help us to be attentive to your word, to take it seriously Help us not to be like Lot's wife. Help us not to be so enamored with this world. So attached to this world. That we would look back. Lord, I pray you would work in our hearts. Not only in this lesson, but in the future lessons as we dive into this subject. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So obviously this teaching is about the coming of the Lord. And that was the question that was asked. You know, about His return. The Pharisees demanded to know much about the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus gave them this explanation. But the first thing He said was, You don't have to wait for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is within you. Right? You don't have to wait for a future kingdom. And by the way, I, I, if a person... If a person has had the kingdom of God within them, they, they're not anything they to look forward to as far as the future kingdom is concerned. And so the most important thing, listen to this tonight, who, whatever your age is, the most important thing is, is that you have the kingdom of God within you, which means you're saved. It means you truly, do you have a king living within you? That's a good question to consider. Do you have a king living within you? And what's his name? And his name is Jesus, if you're saved, and he dwells within us. But then he also says in verse 25, before all this happens, the king first must be, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected. The king would be, the king was among them. The king wanted to be within them. The king would be rejected. The king would be, would eventually be crucified. And then he talks about these two historic events. That these listeners were very aware of, very astute about, and that is what it would be like when he returns. These two major events. And it may not happen in our lifetime. It may not happen in your lifetime. It may not happen for hundreds of years. But rest assured, there will be a generation that will witness the coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming. Just because he hasn't come does not mean he isn't coming. Right? And he's not late either, by the way. Sometimes the people that I'm expecting, they don't come. I'm thinking, are they coming? They'll eventually get there. But, 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 he, but he, he is coming right on time. And there is a generation, there is a group of people that will be living just like we're living when he comes. Wouldn't that be exciting to be a part of that generation? I'm excited about the thought of it. I know some of you may be thinking, well, I'd really, I'm really... i looking forward to retirement, and we're, we're going to have a baby, we will have another baby, we're going to get the kids out of our house, we can't wait to have an empty nest. You're probably thinking about all these things you want to happen, and all that stuff matters, but I'm telling you, the greatest thing that could happen is for Jesus Christ to come back. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. People that claim that they do have been proven to be wrong, and they are wrong. But one of these days, he will gather his people unto himself and take them to heaven. And it will be in a world like he describes in the Bible. Concerning the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Now what do we know about the days of Noah and the days of Lot? We're, um, it tells us in verse 26 and 27, it will be like that. Verse 27, they were eating and drinking and getting married and having having celebrations and playing golf and working and taking vacations. And just like everything was fine until one day it started raining and that preacher and his family had gotten on the boat and the door was shut and nothing would ever be the same, right? Right? But the world wasn't expecting that. They weren't anticipating that. They weren't believing that message. And what was it like? Hold your finger right here in in Luke. And go with me if you would to the book of Genesis. And I'm not going to, we're not going to read much here. But just a couple of verses. But just to refresh our memory. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And this is the day, this describes the day. That Noah lived in. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. Was only evil continually. What a description of how depraved they had become. Verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him. At his heart. And the Lord said in verse 7. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repented me that I have made them. So God says it's so wicked. It was so wicked. Now listen. Sin has existed ever since Adam and Eve sinned. Right? And... I think we can relate to the fact that there's never been a perfect environment since the garden of eden. But if but if you think every every century or every millennium or every generation has the same level of wickedness then you're misinformed. The wickedness of the world the wi- the world was wicked when my grandparents were born. My mother and father were born in the 1930s. It was a wicked world then, but it was not as wicked as it is now. Surely you understand that. Noah's day was exceedingly wicked. And that's why God said enough is enough. And he destroyed the entire world. But good news, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad for God's grace? But then he used, Jesus used not only the days of of Noah, but he used the days of Lot. We read that a moment ago in Luke chapter 17. Now we know some things about Lot's day. We're going to look at it together in Genesis in a minute, but, but what do we know about Lot's day? They lived, they lived such morally depraved lives. And I'm going to be very discreet about the things I talk about. But you know what you know what concerns me about our generation I think more and more the people of this century the people of this generation in this country would feel very comfortable living in Sodom If a person likes moral perversion if a person likes to disregard the standards of the Bible as far as morality they would be at home in Sodom they would have their way in Sodom I personally think we're living in a day that's becoming more and more like Sodom they had no regard for their peril and they would all be they would all be destroyed I mean they would all be destroyed and that's how it's going to be when Jesus returns that's exactly how it's going to be so before we get into that passage in Genesis, just, just think about where we are right now in the message. Because Jesus said these two events, Noah's day and the days of Lot, what did these two events have in common? Both were extremely wicked societies. Could we agree with that? Both, according to the Bible. Both were destroyed by divine judgment, right? Both of them were. In the case of each of them, there was a family of faith that was spared, right? All these things are similar between these two events. And when God comes to take us out of this world, He is going to bring, and I don't make, it doesn't make me happy to say this, the greatest tribulation, the greatest annihilation, the greatest judgment, on this world that it has ever seen, Jesus said, "It'll be unlike anything the world has ever seen before." So you see the similarities. This and so when I think about America, and I and I you know I know that I'm, I know more about America than any other place. But we've been to numer- a number of European countries, and now we've been to Africa, and we've been to a few places. I'm telling you, this is a wicked world. It is a wicked world. So so let's take a let's just think about this place, Sodom. It's it's a you know the 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 name Sodom, and we we, we uh, put these two cities together like twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, but the name Sodom is mentioned more often. It's mentioned forty eight times in the Bible. Thirty nine times in the Old Testament, nine times in the New Testament. And I, we've got a few maps. We're going to we'll give you a little geography lesson, just kind of give you an idea about where we're talking about. Uh, you can see there uh, the Dead Sea. And there's no there's no exact for certain und- questionable, undeniable place that we know Sodom is, but we know the general vicinity. And so it's at the southern part of the Dead Sea. Now, if you look up above the Dead Sea, uh, you'll see... A stream that comes into that. Of course, that's the Jordan River. The Jordan River comes down from Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon down into the Sea of Galilee, beautiful fresh water, and it comes down through the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River continues south on the eastern part of what was then Canaan, what is now Israel, into the Dead Sea. So let's take a look at another visual. Um, could we? There's the, there's the mouth of the Dead Sea. You see the Jordan River as it's flowing south going into the Dead Sea. And we've been there a couple of times. It's a very barren area around the Dead Sea. This is the northern part of the Dead Sea. Let's see another a slide. This kind of shows you again how the, the Jordan River comes from the, from the north, down through the Sea of Galilee, uh, down through eastern Israel, and into uh, the Dead Sea there at the south. And one thing I, was, I would use this map for one reason. Uh, there's no doubt that Sodom and Gomorrah were the southern part of the Dead Sea. That's, I don't think there's any dispute about that. But notice who their neighbors were, if we go back to that. Notice who their neighbors were. The Edomites and the Moabites. You know, the Ammonites to the right, the Moabites. And those were um, countries known for their wickedness. And the Edomites, uh, the descendants of Esau. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. So this is, in a general way, this is where you could say Sodom and Gomorrah was. At the southern part of the Sea of Galilee. Could be. Uh, right at the very bottom, could be a little on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. But there's no question it happened about that place. Okay, let's go to another picture now. Uh, this, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. You see what it's like, how it's barren, and it's, um, you're familiar with its salt uh, content. You're familiar with that. Let's go to another one. Now, one of the reasons, we're going to read this in a moment. One of the reasons that, saw, that Lot liked the area... Was he called the Plains of Jordan? And so it, and it, well, you can see this when you go to the country. That, that's a small Jordan River that's running from left to right there. As you look at it. And you can see above that or beyond that. It's it's, it's flat. It's come mountainous. It's barren. But where that Jordan River runs, it's just green and plush. And, and a lot of a lot of vegetation. A lot of crops. Someplace that plain is quite wide. And I'll I show you that because you're going to wonder... Why, when you look at the Sea of Galilee and what it's like, why would Lot want to live there? He was living in an area where this. Um, he wanted the plain. He wanted to raise his cattle in the plains of of uh, Jordan. We're not going to talk about that tonight much, but we'll get to it later. Is there another slide or two? This is a picture of a man who's doing some archaeological digs excavations at one of the places that they strongly believe that Sodom was, and the re- the residue there, the uh, the things they're digging up. Show evidence of ash, of a great fire. They really believe that could be it. And and that's a beautiful place. Now, look how different it is after it was destroyed than it was, if this is really the place, than it was those plush green pastures, you know, that Lot had his eyes set upon. So kind of gives you an idea geographically of where Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, with that in mind... Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. And I'm I'm just wanting to kind of set the stage tonight, Genesis chapter 13, for an understanding of what occurred in the days of Lot in Sodom. In Genesis chapter 13, and I'm going to intentionally not really dig down much in these passages, but if you look, for instance, in verse... Genesis thirteen begins with Abraham and Lot, Abram and Lot, and their families coming back from Egypt, and they had been greatly they, they prospered in Egypt. And when they come back, they found that they they could not coexist. Basically, look in verse seven. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, his nephew. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take to the left hand, and then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld as the, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Now again, we'll come back to this in another message, but this was what attracted Lot. What he could see, the beautiful landscape, the well-watered plains along the Jordan River. Uh, even like he he described it as the garden of the Lord. This was such a beautiful place. So verse 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now for Lot, this is the beginning of the end. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. And we know this, we'll cover this later. Before you know it, he's living in Sodom. By the way, that's the way it works. You start looking at something, it looks good. You know, how could this be harmful? Before you know it, you're cozying up to it. Before you know it, you know, you're not just in Sodom, but Sodom's in you. And so, verse 13, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And again, I'm I'm just kind of giving you an overview, but we know from the New Testament, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. He was a man of faith. He wasn't living righteously all the time, but he was a man of faith. But he made some foolish decisions. He made some very unwise decisions. And people make those same kind of decisions today. To be closer to the world. Be more like the world. You know, these things aren't all that bad. You know what I'm saying? But, but I'm telling you, um, the Bible's very clear. Do not be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And if you hang around the wrong places, the wrong people, it's going to affect you. You can say that's old-fashioned. You can say mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. But I'm just telling you, the Bible stands true. And that's an, a classic example here in the life of Lot. And so there he is pitching his tent toward Sodom. And we see again how wicked the people of Sodom were. Every, every town has wickedness, except St. Clair, Missouri, of course. <laughs> every town has wickedness, but this was unusual wickedness. Turn, to, if you would please, to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, and verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him, unto Abram, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So Abraham sitting there in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. So, Abram has these three visitors. But they're not just men. He saw them as men, but they were divine visitors. We know that. One, I believe, was the Lord himself. Two of them were angels. And he Tell Sarah, let's get them something to eat. So they sent out for pizza. <laughs> Not that. I mean, they, they butchered an animal and had a meal. So, look in verse 16. They don't, the men, verse 16 of chapter 18. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. See, that's where they're headed. They looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now let's look over in verse 20. And I'm skipping some things just for time's sake. I just want to kind of lay out the the general um, tenor of this text. Verse 20. And the Lord said because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now just to help you, in case you've never read through this, look in chapter 19. And verse 1 it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even. So so these two angels went on to Sodom. One one of these visitors stayed with him, and it was the Lord. Look in verse 22. Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And verse 23 And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So Abraham knew what was about to happen. He knew that God was about to judge Sodom. And he knew the citizens of that city were in jeopardy. And he knew that Lot his, and his family, his kinfolks, were in that city. We'll come back to this in another message. But he began to pray and intercede. Because he knew judgment was about to come. By the way, just if we really believe that judgment was about to come on our loved ones, we'd be more serious praying for them, interceding for them. So in chapter 19, if you look there with me please, in Genesis chapter 19, as I read verse 1, these two angels came to Sodom at even, late in the day, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. He wants to bring them into his house and tarry all night. And wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house. And they entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Part of the reason I think he was inviting them in was because he was hospitable. I think part of the reason he was inviting them in is he knew what was probably going to happen if they stayed out in the street. Verse 4, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, men and young men, men surrounding the house from every direction. And they called unto Lot. From outside, they're calling inside the house. They called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And he said, I pray you, brethren, do not sow wickedly. The men of the city, so depraved, so perverted, so twisted, so filled with the devil, really, demanded to sexually assault the guests in Lot's home. And that's how wicked it was. And I, I keep coming back to this because I want to do it for emphasis. If hearing that does not kind of make you sick at your stomach, there's something wrong with where you are. We're talking about, we're talking about moral perversion that is off the charts. Do you know there are many people in this country today that if they had their way, they would make it legal for adults to marry underage children and they see nothing wrong with it? You say, why do they... Because we're becoming more and more like Sodom. That's why. It's a wicked culture. And it's getting, as we would say around our house, my wife, and wife would say this, it's getting wickeder and wickeder. <laughs> what did God do? What did God do with this culture? What did God do with... Noah's culture. He destroyed them all, and one day he's going to destroy this world where we where we live. In Genesis chapter nineteen, if you look there just quickly, and we're almost done in Genesis for tonight anyway. In Genesis chapter nineteen and verse twenty four. It says, "Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven." And by the way, they they had it coming, right? They had it coming. A preacher friend of ours was at our house Friday night. Him and his family came over for supper, and we were talking a little bit, and he said, He said, I've been emphasizing this in our church. I thought about this lesson when he said this. But what he said, I've been I've been pressing upon our people. Do we really believe the Bible? I mean, do we really believe the Bible? Do we believe that what Jesus said is true? Do we believe what's right is really true? And what's wrong is... Re- do we really believe that? Now, he's, I've been to his church more than once. It's a very strong church. But he said, I just feel... Because he said, it's, it's like people get so dull and insensitive. They say they believe the Bible, but they keep doing things that contradict the Bible. Do we really believe the Bible? Now, people look at this and say, well, why would God do that to those people? I'll tell you why, because they're living... For the same reason God destroyed entire cities um, and peoples in Canaan. Because the way they were living was um, uh, immoral and indecent and ungodly. And He destroyed them. God God is holy. God is a holy God. God does not have to live by your standards or mine. He has His own standards. And we're to live by His standards. And if we don't accept His standards, we're in rebellion against Him. And people just keep on doing it like God. it doesn't matter to God. And that's the way they were. In Noah's day, they were this way. In Lot's day, they were this way. I'm sure they knew different. They just kept living in sin. And one day, God rained judgment upon them. And one day, He's going to do it upon this world. And, and He has the right to do that because He's God. Now, what are some lessons? Lessons from Sodom. As I said earlier, the wickedness was exceptionally vile, demented, twisted, perverted. And God finally just said, this is it. Enough's enough. I firmly believe. I'm convinced, totally convinced. Forget trying to persuade me otherwise. I firmly believe God's going to do the same thing again. He's going to say enough is enough. I didn't create them to live this way. They know better than living this way, and we're going we're to deal with it. I really believe that with all of my heart. It happened in Noah's day. It happened in Lot's day. It's going to happen here one day. By the way, let's just go to another passage that we'll take apart in another day. But go to 2 Peter chapter 2. This will probably be our last passage to look up. 2 Peter chapter 2. At the end of 2 Peter chapter 1, we have this Tremendous teaching from Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God, about this more sure word of prophecy we have, the Word of God. More reliable. The Bible is more reliable than an eyewitness account. That's what Peter says. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2, But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That's another part of the last days, is these, these prevalence, this, the number of false teachers. In verse 2, Many shall follow their pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Surely we're living in those days. But notice what it says in verse, well let's just go ahead and read verse 3 and on. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, feigned words are insincere, just uh, hypocritical. With feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. So he's going to talk about judgment again. And their damnation slumbereth not. And here's some comparables that he gives. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Peter's just saying, let me just remind you of these things. When Lucifer and his band of angels rebelled, God judged them. And then he says this in verse 5, And spared not the old world in Noah's day, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Keep keep in mind, he said now, God's going to judge them in verse 3, just like he judged the angels. Just like he judged Noah's world. Verse 6. In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. If people want to know what God thinks about perversion, moral perversion, specifically uh, sodomy, homosexuality, he said, Here's an example. He rained fire and brimstone on them. God has not changed. God hadn't changed. God hadn't sh- Jesus said, If you look on a woman to lust after its adultery, God hasn't changed. It's still sin. You say, Well, I just can't help it. No, you can not help it. You can not help it. Right? Especially if you say you're saved, you can help it. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Verse 7, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. We'll come back to this, but let's go ahead and read verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So God's God has a track record of judging sin. Would you agree with that? He has a track record. Did it with the angels, he did it in Noah's day. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He will do it again. And you say, well, I just don't know if that's true. Just flip the page over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and just read one verse, if you would, please. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, that's that's talking about the coming of Jesus. That's talking about the day of judgment. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth, earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. Is that what your Bible says? You say, well, I thought, I thought the promise of the rainbow was that God would never destroy the earth again. No, it's the, he'll, he'll never destroy it again with water. But He will destroy it again with fire. Right? God has, God has a track record. And I think we, need, we of all people, God's people, need to understand that. And you say, well, I just don't want to think about it. It's in the Bible. It's, it, it, the Bible's filled with it. Why wouldn't we want to understand it if it's in the Bible? And so here's my, here's my line of thinking. I could, we, we could, we're living in Sodom. We are living in a world that is becoming more and more like Sodom. Jesus said the days before his return. I'm not saying he's coming in my lifetime. You understand me better than that. But I'm just saying this is becoming more and more like Sodom. I mean in case in case maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're headed toward more and more of a little house on the prairie world. Maybe, maybe Andy of Mayberry is making a comeback. Maybe, maybe Leave It to Beaver is going to become the most the kind of entertainment we like. I don't think so. I mean, in, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I mean, we've gone from where entertainment was Andy of Mayberry and the Leave It to Beaver. The worst thing on TV was. What was that guy's name on Leave it to Beaver that was such a problem? <laughs> it's terrible. So how, how are we progressing now? Now you have sitcoms where it's normal. I don't watch them. Where it's normal to have same-sex relationships. You have commercials where advertisements Have men and men, men and women, men like a family, a man and a man like a family, a woman and a... You say, preacher, it's always been that way. You are insane if you think it's always been that way. Do you think my grandparents saw that on their television screen? Absolutely not. I said to our young people, the boys, I had a Bible study at our house, and I taught the boys and my wife taught the ladies a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I know you can't relate to this. But you need to listen to somebody that can. The world has not always been like it is today. In my lifetime. And we've gone from it being scandalous. When on I Love Lucy, Lucy and Desi were in a bed together as a married couple. And that was scandalous in their day. Where one cuss word in the movie, Gone with the Wind, was scandalous. One cuss word. And now you have people running for office who are using the vilest language in public with a camera on them and a microphone in front of them, and they don't care because that's the way the culture is. And sometimes people get so desensitized... By what they're listening to, they don't even hear it. It's like it doesn't even matter. You know, when my grandparents, when Elvis Presley and the Beatles took the world by storm, my grandparents were shocked. I'm not making that up. They were shocked. Do you think they could have imagined today, a day, a day when music much, much stronger, more rock than that is being used for the music in churches. Do you think they could imagine a day like that? I'm talking about my grandparents. They would never imagine a day like that. And yet it's it's commonplace now. It's commonplace. I think there are many reasons to believe we're living in the last days. I'm not saying we can't have revival. I know we can have revival personally. I know we can have revival in churches. (coughs) But I don't know that we'll ever turn. We're in a death spiral as far as as what I can see in our culture. Like a a plane that's just in a death spiral. It, It cannot pull out of it blasphemy and perversion, I cannot, more, I cannot see any reason to believe that we're ever going to pull out of this death spiral. And yet there, there are probably people sitting here tonight with young children who think, well, it's bad, and it might have been a little worse than it used to be, but it'll probably get better. You are living in a dream world if you think that. You're, living, you're, you're not facing reality. Reality. The children, and I'm for children. I love children. I I thank God for our children. But I'm telling you, it it is very foolish for young people who are raising children to think that somehow it's just going to get better and better. Here's what the Bible says. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Imagine living in a world... Where people would come knocking on your door, beating on the sides of your house, and wanting to men wanting to bring the men out of your house. Imagine living in that world. It's not so far-fetched that I can't imagine it happening in our lifetime. You say, Well, you're just you're an extremist. I I don't think I'm an alarmist. I think I'm a realist. I think this is the world, this is what's happening in our world. And here is one of my greatest concerns, is how these matters seem to be of little interest among God's people. I told those young people, I can't get used to this. I can't get used to to seeing men and women talk in public using foul language. I can't get used, I don't want to get used to it. I'll never get used to it. And you shouldn't get used to it. If you accept that as norm, if you start buying into that, you're doing exactly what Lot did. You're you're letting Lot or Sodom influence your values. The, The world does not influence our values. God influences our values. The world doesn't set our standards. God sets our standards. And if you have a problem with God's standards, you have a problem with God. I'm concerned about it. So, how should we live? If we're living in that day, how should we live? You know, Noah and Lot, we don't know exactly what all happened, but we have a good idea. But Noah and Lot had similar challenges, they had similar challenges by their culture. But they had different responses. And I want to end with this. Lot became, in many ways, a product of his culture. Remember his daughters? How wicked they were? That's where Ammon and Moab came from. Lot became a product of his culture. Even though he was a just man... He became a... He let the culture shape him. You know what it says about Noah? Lived in an equally wicked world. He was a preacher of righteousness. We have every reason to believe that no matter how wicked the world was, Noah did not comply with that world. And I think we have to, as, as families... We have to ask ourselves, how are we going to live? We can't change, you know, we, I would like to change the culture. Wouldn't you like to change the culture? Wouldn't you like to bring back the old time values? Sure we would, but we can't change the culture. But I think it's so important that we, especially with families, children, that we understand the seriousness of what we're dealing with. We don't want to lose our kids to this culture. You say, well, they go to church and, you know, we, we eat dinner together every night. All that stuff is good. But I'm telling you, we've got to take our job seriously. Right? It's a serious situation. And one day, maybe very soon, but one day, God's going to say enough is enough. You say, preacher, don't you think it could get more vile? I know it could. It is. Year by year, more and more things happen. This week, this week, I read a news article about the first, as far as we know, the first Baptist church called a transsexual to be their pastor. The first time... Now, other denominations have been hiring, you know, lesbians and bisexuals. And, but a Baptist church, calling a transsexual. You say, well, you know, things happen. Yeah, things are happening. But none of them are better, as far as that stuff's concerned. It's sick. It's perverted. It's twisted. Right? Right? And I think we just need to get back and say, God, we want to do it your way. We want to live the way you want us to live. Right?